Welcome to Mo's 15 The Reunion. I am Drew Garland. My site was Shibweni in Inyaban province, and I worked in education at uh, Institute Sao, Formasao Pedagogica, uh, IFP de Villanculus. Uh, yeah, and here's a message from Shane. Friends of Mozambique is a 501c3 nonprofit founded by Mose RPCVs is a way of continuing to make a positive impact in Mozambique post-Peace Corps service. The most important thing that we do is fund small grants to community groups in Mozambique. Projects have ranged from everything from teaching girls to code to youth empowerment through soccer. As a small organization, we are very intentional about choosing small, always less than $1,500, but impactful projects to get the most bang for our donors' bucks. The best thing about Friends of Moe's is that 100% of donations go directly to projects in Mozambique. We have essentially zero overhead and have a great board, including former country director Carl Swartz, Peace Corps staff Ophelia Shuva, and uh, several RPCVs who you may know. If you want to learn more about Friends of Moe's, go to friendsofmozambique.com. You can learn more about our projects and make a donation if you are able. Um, thanks, everyone. Samazuzus. All right, and before we continue with Drew could go rogue at any moment, guys. Okay, so just 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 hang on for that. And I think he wants to start us off with a disclaimer or something. No, I, I do not. I I am a fan of the show. Um, I I know the format. I discuss the show with other people. So I I think I'm one of the least likely to go rogue. Uh I think I might go long but I'm not sure about going rogue. So I disclaim your disclaimer. Thank you. Drew, what makes you happy? I, I can't talk about how happy my daughters make me without talking about how wonderful my wife is. So I love my wife, Toa. Uh, I, I thought about this question a lot. It's really just spending time with my daughters. Um, I got probably the most emotional I have been besides the school year ending which is always a flood of emotions um, is I was driving my daughter to what turned out to be her last day of kindergarten. And I got like really, really, really proud of her. And it was a very emotional moment. And yeah, I really, really love hanging out with my daughters and I love hanging out with them during the summer. Cause I'm like more conscious and more aware and more present stuff. So it's, it's the very beginning of a very awesome season. We were at the pool last night cause we got into a pool we've been on the waiting list for for years and it was just like boxed up dinner kids pretending to be mermaids my daughters are six and four and so um they have a lot of really really cool older sister younger sister dynamics and yeah it's it's an interesting question to think about like what makes me happy but i'm like i'm very 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 happy and content when my kids are not murdering each other um but they're having a lot of fun is your wife going to listen to this? Yes, she is. Um, she makes fun of me a lot um, and and some of my Peace Corps stuff. Uh, and so at first she said she was going to listen to everybody else's but mine. Uh, but now she says she will listen to mine. Although she says she knows my 10 stories. Is she going to be upset that she doesn't make you happy? Uh, well, I mean, she provided the children. We created them together. And one of them... Probably the one that makes me happiest is a small version of her. And the one that uh, the one that uh, drives me crazy is a tiny version of me. And so um, 
I'm very against the idea of people, quote unquote, needing to have children to be fulfilled in any way, shape or form. Um, but I do think that like when parents get particularly like if you miss out on the existential punishment of raising a small version of yourself, um, you know, there's some justice in that. And so just to let everybody know, like my youngest daughter is a tiny Drew Garland. My wife makes me happy too. If anyone doesn't remember you by chance, uh, how would you describe your Peace Corps self? Let's see. Let me start with my training self, which very clearly had a laminated photo of my then girlfriend, uh, which was part of my little intro package. So a lot of you first met me um, as someone having huge golden retriever energy, just being happy to be there. Audie recalls that like on our first morning in Maputo, I saw a monkey and I told everybody about it. I was like knocking on people's doors being like, I saw this monkey, which, you know, knowing what we know years later, that's still kind of amazing for Maputo. Is this the monkey you chained up? No, no. I am a, I am a very pro-freedom of monkeys person. And so... Uh, you know, it might come up later in one of my site stories, but I actually ate it and I didn't take a picture with a monkey and put it on my Facebook, you know, to to mock its captivity. Um, you know, I basically like saved this gray, gray monkey from a life of, you know, scorn and disillusionment and gave it friendship with my dog. We're we're off base a little bit here. You thought I was going to go rogue. Um but yeah, so I had a I had a picture of my ex girlfriend. Uh, she's now my ex girlfriend, um, and I was tall, I was blonde, and I was doing that thing where I was talking a lot because I was insecure. And what have you been up to the last ten to eleven years? How did you get from villain Coolouge to wherever you are right now? Say my site was Villain Kulu's is like people being like, I'm from Chicago. And we're like, what part? And then they name all the suburbs around it. My site was Shibweni. <laughs> it had its own culture. It had its own road. It had a sign I took a picture of in front of. Okay. So that was my site. It's interesting because I made a big move, but I didn't make a big career change. It's very interesting to hear a lot of different people kind of find their path. And to kind of figure out what they want to do through Peace Corps right after Peace Corps, I'm still teaching. Um, and I still I still count my teaching years in Peace Corps, mostly the IFP, um, as opposed to like the work I did in like an elementary school or a nursery and stuff. Um, but I count those as years teaching. And so this is actually year 17 for me. So I've been teaching for 17 years. Uh, and... The big change is that I moved to Denver, Colorado. I, I remember I got back from, from a big COS trip with you, actually, James. Like, we did a really big COS trip. Uh, we got to Kilimanjaro, and that was its own adventure. We talked a lot of Star Wars for the four days. It took us to almost Summit. And then you got down, and we, we got down in one day, so there was less Star Wars talk that last day. Um, but after that really, really big COS trip, I came home and lived at my parents' house slash just went and visited a lot of Peace Corps people. I remember the Peace Corps manual they gave us had like this very small section at the end about like um, what's life going to be like when you get back to the U.S. and like what you're going to want to do versus what you should do. And it was like you want to go see other Peace Corps people and keep living your Peace Corps life. 
you should figure out what your next step is. But I ended up visiting like Alice and AJ and I ended up visiting um, Camille. Uh, I ended up visiting like B-Mills and I, I stayed at your house and we tried to watch all the um, Star Wars in a row and your parents made fun of us. Um, I met your brother. So I kind of kept the good times rolling whilst still interviewing and getting a job in Denver. And I wanted to live in a cool place for a couple of years. I wanted to uh, live in either Denver, Washington, D.C., New York, uh, Oakland, Austin, or one other place. Maybe it was New York City if I didn't mention that one. And then I tried to figure out, like, where did my teaching license line up and my master's line up and what was just a cool place. And so it came down to Denver or Austin. And I, you know, we'd all done the heat, you know, so it was like, do I want to live in Texas or do I want to go live in Colorado? And I chose Colorado and my three-year plan became a 30-year mortgage. I got married and, you know, now we have kids and I, like all true Denverites are not from Colorado, but my kids are, which is cool. So I got little, I got little mountain girls. That might've been a very long answer to your question. That's okay. It's your interview. Have you revisited Mozambique? No, um, my wife and I came very, very close. Um, about six years ago, we'd gotten all the way up through the planning stages of basically booking tickets and then trying to figure out where we were going to stay. We were talking to my host sister about getting her to meet us in Inyamban, um, the provincial capital, so we could all hang out in Tofu. And like, um, her daughter is named after me. We have a very nice connection. Um, and then you know, that was also our, our family planning stage. And so, you know, Zika was very much in the news and I bet you it's still out there, but there's all the stories and all the incidents of like children being born and having complications due to Zika. So, you know, before we got incredibly, incredibly, incredibly serious, like bought the final tickets, we decided to have our kids first. And so, um, we had both of our children within about 20 months of each other. So they're a little bit two years apart and we're now just kind of waiting for the right time to go back to Mozambique. And we're thinking like fly into Maputo, do a Namasha, maybe not do a Namasha time. Um, maybe like fly to South Africa, fly to Inyamban province, like the capital, get my sister to drive up and like help her like get some money to like bring her family or bring her sister. And then we would do tofu, come back up to my site um, where we could use the villain airport. And then there's a direct flight from the villain airport to Kruger national park. And so we thought about it. We thought about it a lot. James is giving me some looks of like, okay, okay. But like, I, I think about bringing the kids down there and helping them have an experience, help them understand what our experience was like. And, Tova is not a huge fan. Tova's my wife. Tova is not a huge fan of me um, belaying with the kids. But like there's that one sandy road from like where my site was to Vilunculus, the like district capital. And it's like nine kilometers of like sandy road. And I'm like, that would be an okay belay a situation with a, an American child. You know, like if she was like nine, that'd be fine. How did Peace Corps in Mozambique prepare you for the lockdown and pandemic 
you know, I had a really nice site with access to a lot of things that are piece poor people didn't like it was either Abby Langstead or Scooter who said a happy volunteer is a productive volunteer. And that gave me license to buy cheese um, whenever I wanted at the uh, the South African supermarket in the district. I was real close to a beach. I traveled a lot. I traveled in Mozambique a lot during my service. So in terms of like, you know, did did my service reflect any part of like the lockdown? Not really, because like my service was um, pretty privileged and pretty nice compared to like maybe someone who's in Mabalon, you know, and got used to like having limited access to things and stuff. So it was it was still a Peace Corps service in that, you know, I couldn't have everything I wanted all the time, but I would go into town once a week and I would observe my students, but I would also buy a little cheese or hit the internet cafe or, you know, there are these women in the market who like made these chicken sandwiches and like they tasted like barbecue chicken, you know? So like I would just buy a chicken sandwich if I was sad or, so I guess, you know, I was ready to like indulge myself and DoorDash um, some steak and shake to my house every once in a while. Like that was part of my uh, pandemic uh, time. But no, my pandemic time was weird. Um, I kind of did some like dad camp or dad school. My two youngest were uh, younger and then my work was different than my wife's work. So um, no, I was hanging out with like, uh, a three-year-old and a one-year-old a lot um and it was very stressful in terms of mental health I I did a lot of like reordering and reshuffling the basement to, to kind of like jazz it up for the kids and to amuse myself a little bit and now like looking back at those videos of how intense my schemes got I was like man I'm, I'm glad I I could have gotten a therapist earlier what is most surprising about you now, considering who you were in Mozambique? I I thought of a way to frame this question, or I thought of a way to make this question seem good or seem good. But like when I talked to two different people, because again, James, I'm taking this really seriously. I'm not going to go rogue. Like I care about my interview. I care about the podcast. And it could be surprising to you or us. Well, I was going to say two people brought up my 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 entanglements, as Jada Pickett Smith would put it. So. I guess the surprising thing is that I settled down, you know, I'm, I'm a real happy family guy and I, I don't go out that much. Like I'm, I'm kind of a homely dude. Like that's what my wife likes to make fun of me. She thought she married this like super exciting, like Peace Corps person and going to go to all these adventures. And now she's the one who has to drag me out like at night sometimes. Cause I'm like, I don't want to leave the house. So I'm just a homebody. I'm just a dad. I'm just a not exciting person. I don't, I'm not on my third marriage or anything like that, you know, and hopefully I've moved past, you know, I, I don't want to think I was a bad person 10 years ago, but I was definitely more immature about um, my feelings and how they related to other people's feelings. So I hope I'm a more considerate person as well as a boring dad. How many first dates did it take you to meet your wife? I literally, so I have this story of like meeting this person when I was visiting Denver and then in the moment kind of like um, not pursuing anything because like I was going to move there four months later. But then I used the conversation we had to um, to uh, find her online basically and like whatever. Is that a, is that a cute story because we ended up having a date and meeting or is that a cyber stalking story? 
Maybe in 2023, it's more of a cyber stalking story. But that person was Tova. No, that person was not Tova. Oh, that okay. person was Jenny. <laughs> um, but basically, within about a month so of us that's one day. <laughs> no. Well, here's the thing. Jenny was kind of like, hey, I don't think you're back from Mozambique yet. So, you know, this isn't really a thing. So she kind of like set me down easy that like, maybe I wasn't ready to be in a relationship. So I think I went on, I think I did like some, some date, some internet meetups and stuff, but dates, I probably did four or five dates, maybe. Um, but I was in like a different place where like, I, I, without knowing it, I was ready for like a, I guess a more serious relationship or like the next step in a relationship. Um, so I think I met my, I met my wife because I joined a Peace Corps kickball team and, uh, Jema is actually part of this origin story. Cause she was passing through Denver and we met up to go to a thing called jazz in the park. And we were hanging out with Jema's friends because I moved to Denver and I was just like, I'll meet people. And I was like, no, it's after 25. Like it's awkward to meet people. So Jema was like, do you want to come meet my friends? And I'm like, yes. And in my head, I'm like, I'll make them my friends um but we go hang out with them and then someone's like how do you two know each other and then we're like we're in the peace corps together and then this guy across the circle was like i was in the peace corps and i like leapt across the circle and i was like be my friend but i was also like hey let's let's hang out bro or something like that and he was like well i'm on a peace corps kickball team and so everybody on this like kickball team play a beer play with a beer in your hand um it was a returned peace corps volunteer and so uh nick the guy who is at thing was a returned volunteer from the republic of kinnabis like kitabati on the map where like the international dateline jackknives are on this one tiny group of islands uh there was people who were like rpcvs from kenya uh ecuador and then this one rpcv from uh moldova uh was like hey like you should come to this pumpkin carving party i'm having you can meet my cute tall friend or my cute Jewish roommate. And her tall friend was not that cute, in my opinion. You know, taste is subjective. But um, her Jewish friend was Tova, my wife. So that's how we met. Um, we met at a party. Everyone thinks we met on J-Date, which is fine. I, I actually thought it was some, something like that for some reason. You know, we got, we got, we got introduced. We uh little bumps here and there, but we went official and uh, bef- like Tova, you know, she knew what she wanted. She is an assertive, assertive woman. And so this one time after we've been dating for like, maybe like only four or five months, but like we stopped in the middle of a uh, snowboarding run and she was like, so are you moving into my house or am I moving into your house? And we moved into my house, which was a fine, you stayed at that apartment um this fine apartment off colorado avenue which is like a main drag in denver and it's interesting because my wife is from san diego um she went to cu boulder but she's um she's not necessarily the peace corps type quote unquote or like the camping type and so because that apartment had some roaches she refers to the six months when she lived in that apartment as her peace corps time so i guess the short answer to that one is like five dates <laughs> One of those four or five dates was hilarious. Uh, you had you had gone out with someone. She was something like a reading specialist. So you had this idea, and you can interrupt me and, and tell it at, at any moment. But you had this idea. You would go to Barnes & Noble. You would buy the same book, and you would read it. And she tells you something along the lines of, like, I don't like to mix work with pleasure or something like that. <laughs> I don't remember that. Is this true? 
<laughs> uh, that sounds true because one of my go-to moves was, and Tova makes fun of me for this because she says that she would fail the state was I did take one person to um, the Tattered Cover, which is a very famous bookstore here in Denver. And we bought each other a book and it was something that we'd recently read and it was a not very stealthy way to make judgments about people. But like Tova, um, she had read some travel books and she had read some parenting books, especially about being French parents. But um, she's just not as big of a reader. And so she's like, I would have failed that test. And I'm like, yeah, it was a little bit of a flawed experiment. So, you know, me being me, I probably tried to use that trick more than once. And uh, no, I don't remember that person specifically, but I my reaction to that now would be no second date. All right. Do you have any pets? Uh, when people ask me this, I say that I have two children. Do you have any new hobbies? Yes. Uh, so actually, I picked this up during the pandemic. Um, and this hobby has evolved. This could have been my what's the most surprising thing about you is that I'm a dungeon master and uh, I've I've played some D&D campaigns. And so, uh, you know, I'm that was that's a really that would have been a Peace Corps-tastic activity. Like, I hope that there are some people who um, I'm sure there's people before, during and after our service who brought like a, a manual and brought some of the things they'd need but man like those mafia games were just um those were just uh good training for some good old D. it's a risky move in the peace corps it'd be a pretty cool way wouldn't that be a cool juntush activity like what a great way to like teach kids english and like you know like just bring them back every time they'd be like trainer like, I am ready to vanquish the dragon. I'm like, okay, well, I hope you got some good dice. Yeah, that's a fun activity. And, uh, you know, the obvious one is being a parent. But, yeah, it's 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 fun to be a dungeon master. Um, I actually played with a, um, a, a Peace Corps Moe's group during the pandemic. And then after the pandemic, or not after the pandemic, but towards the end of the pandemic, it kind of, like, fell away. And um, we never did finish fighting the ice dragon, but... I reached out to a couple of people I work with in Colorado and people I've worked with in the past. We have a really nice uh, four person game going right now. How have your politics changed? This is going to come back to what was I like before Peace Corps and stuff, but I've, I, I hope I've really decentered myself in my politics or kind of taken my own personal narrative out of my politics um, just because you know, it's not all about me and centering yourself in your work, especially in service work, um, is not healthy or the best way to get the best work done. And so um, I had done um, some political campaigning, some registering of voters, um, been probably slightly more politically active than your average American. But like, you know, were those just because I was thinking about possibly having a political future? Were those like things I believed in, you know, like, um, so I think that I have a much more grounded, um, sense of politics. I hope I'm more engaged in local politics and I hope I am less so engaged in like daydreaming about, you know, whether or not I'll have some kind of political career because no, I'm 40, I'm not. And also there's a lot of people who look and sound like me who have great political influence and they can keep having political influence. Like there needs to be, you know, space at the table for other people as well. So I think decentering myself from uh like the political narrative is a very healthy thing uh that's changed since peace corps and and right before peace corps 2 was worse then
How was your transition back to the U.S.? I love this question. And I really love that Vivian kicked down the gates of like people being dicks to us uh, because I just there's this guy who I worked with who would always like mess with me because like my first year coming back and teaching in Denver Public Schools, if I would talk about anything, like I'd be like, yeah, so in Peace Corps in Mozambique, can you be like, be like, oh, is that what happened in Peace Corps in Mozambique? Oh, and then like, or I'd tell a story or I'd say something, or I'd be like, maybe you should do this. Like, oh, because they did that in Peace Corps in Mozambique. And, you know, looking back, this guy was like a first year teacher who had something to prove and he was always telling us his resume. So he was at it. But like, yeah, I kind of, I internalized it as like, oh, I talk about Peace Corps too much or something. And then like, you know, I kind of let it drop as many of us did. And uh, there used to be way more people uh, return Peace Corps volunteers at my school. There was like a teacher who'd been in Ecuador in the 80s. And then one of my assistant principals uh, was in Ukraine in the 90s. Uh, this one dude I worked with had been in Rwanda like a couple of years ago. And then I was like one of the newest people. So it was like this thing to celebrate. And then as the years went by, like staff turnover is what it is. And so fewer Peace Corps people were at my school. I always thought about that guy who was like in Peace Corps in Mozambique. And I'm like, fuck you, man. It's in a positive. Like you know, it's fine. So I love that Vivian brought that up and that other people have like supported me in my vitriol because yeah, I held some of that stuff back, but um, yeah, I did have my two minute spiel and my two minute spiel did involve like uh, the monkey that lived next to my house that I did, you know, free. And, but I would also, one thing I would also tell, which was a good one was, um, to explaining like what our lives was like was I would talk about like the wrapped up sandwiches or like eating a banana without taking the peel off. Cause like we'd always talk about safe sex and we always talk about using condoms and birth control and stuff. And then it was always funny when one of your colleagues would like try and give you a sandwich that was wrapped in plastic wrap. And you were like, Oh, thanks man. And they're like, no, eat it, eat it like that. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, this is how you want us to use condoms. And I'm like, Oh, come on, man. Like, but, you know, that's that was kind of an interesting anecdote in terms of like, did that ever happen to you, the banana or the wrapped up sandwich? Well, I definitely don't remember that. I feel like we got told this story in training and then this very much happened to me um, during some of my like health, um, you know, conversations with colleagues or at meetings or like um when people would find out that like my readish group was a little bit different because like a lot of my students at my school um were um like 19 through 22 year olds so like I facilitated the creation of a readish group and my counterpart like ran meetings and I gave them materials but I wasn't like sitting in it because it wasn't like one that needed my guidance or anything but like people still knew that I was talking about reproductive health and I was trying to help the students with it. So it was kind of like a joke where they'd be like, Andre, what are you telling the students? And I'm like, you know, stuff about safe sex. And you know, that that's what would sometimes initiate the banana or the sandwich. It happened a couple of times, you know, you just had to be a good sport. I also, I became much more nuanced, like my second year too, or like, yeah, we're telling people how to have safe sex, but also like, you know, we come from a country with libraries and magazines and high-speed internet and like, you know, lots and lots and lots of other conveniences. And we're like, hey, by the way, this one thing, which is very accessible to almost anybody on earth, here's something that makes it less fun. And we're telling you to do this because of a very abstract consequence that we're not explaining super well, but do it anyway, because I'm telling you to do it. Was that how people presented it? 
Um, my Portuguese wasn't great. And I mean, I'm thinking about our materials. So, I mean, you know, it wasn't as bad as like abstinence only training, but there was like, you know, condom demonstrations were pretty consistent in terms of like a lot of the stuff that we were pushing, you know, but I mean, it was also, if we think about it too, it's a pretty, um, uh, pragmatic way to promote safe sex cheaply. Who was the last Mozambican you either saw, spoke to, text? Uh, I talked to my host sister, um, you know, once or twice a year, two or three times a year. Um, on the during my service, we became really, really close because my host mother died, um, and so um, I got permission to go back to site um, when for her service and. Um, my family, I was the first Peace Corps volunteer they ever had. And then after my whole mother died, like Peace Corps regulations, I think it was, you're supposed to have like a two parent or at least one parent who is permanently resides in Namasha, um, to host a Peace Corps volunteer. So they didn't host another Peace Corps volunteer after me. Um, and so we were, we formed like a really close bond and connection. She went to an IFP and so her experience kind of mirrored mine. She was at, um, Annie and, um, Barbara's. Um, and then on the way out of the country, um, I left her a small, like to me, a small sum of money, but it was like to pay for the rest of her um, IFP time. So we remained connected. And so um, she sends me pictures of her daughter. I send her pictures of like my kids. Um, we'll check in every now and then. And then she hadn't done it in a while, but um, she asked me if I could help her buy her a car. Um, and it was it was a pretty large one time sum of money, but we've sent her a couple hundred dollars here and there. Um, every couple of years. So, um, you know, she knows I live in America and she knows my finances are different, but like, you know, I can't, I can't buy her a car right now. So, but it is a good price and it is a good deal. It's just like, I can't put that much money into a book and then give it to like a Peace Corps volunteer sitting down, but she's really nice. And uh, some of you guys probably might've known her from model school too. That My sister was Isa, Isa Vucencia. Right, let's go pre-Peace Corps. Why did you join the Peace Corps? Oh, man. Uh, very big teacher savior, white savior, world savior feelings. Um, I remember really specifically that I brought, my dad gave me a Robert Schlesinger, uh, Robert F. Kennedy biography to bring with me to um, Peace Corps. And I devoured it. You know, it was, it was a book about public service and it was a book about, um, you know, destiny and courage. And um, I think at the beginning of my Peace Corps service and pre-Peace Corps service, um, I was very, very, very into the things that I was going to do and the changes that I was going to make and the impact I was going to have. And, you know, like a lot of people, um, it's a very, very humbling experience. And if anything, it kind of helped me like elongate my teaching career because, you know, I entered, I taught the same way I entered Peace Corps. I was like, I'm going to save all these kids. And I'm going to change all these systems and i'm gonna go up against all this stuff and you know and peace corps was like a very good experience in terms of you're a small 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 thing and you were a part of other people's journeys you know so i think that like right before peace corps i was some people will probably say even to this day still very like a drew centric place but i hope that it's given me like a lot more perspective do you know how you ended up in mozambique <laughs> Uh, and I, I really, really, really wanted to go to sub-Saharan Africa and 
Um, I was in the application process for almost as much time as I served. So about two years after I applied and talked to different people and let them know what I wanted to do, let them know I was in a master's program. Um, I had my interview with this uh, kind of no nonsense African-American lady who like I tried to engage her in like conversation. I was like, where'd you serve in the Peace Corps? She was like, I was actually in AmeriCorps Vista. And like, she didn't look up when she said that. So I think like, you know, she'd been kind of shuffled around due to, um, you know, some uh, bureaucratic like stuff. And so I tried to reference this book I'd read where I was like, oh, I read this book by Jimmy Carter's grandson about like where he'd served. And she was like, yes, sir. There's a number of inspirational Peace Corps books. And so she did a good job because she listened to everything I wanted um, and I got what I wanted. I actually became a hospice volunteer because someone had also told me or the um, the rumor was that if you had hospice experience, um, you were more likely to go to um, sub-Saharan Africa due to the HIV um, component. So I really tried to tip everything um my way and then i got that information like six months ahead of time it's like you're going to french speaking um you know sub-saharan africa and then the day that my um package arrived it went to my parents house in north carolina because i knew i was going to be leaving the country hopefully um i had my parents open it and it said mozambique and i was like what is mozambique and i was actually working at a barnes and noble uh, while I was going through grad school, I was also teaching. And so I went over to the Atlas section and pulled like three books and looked at a bunch of Mozambique stuff and like looked at the basic information. I was like, okay, population, blah, 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 primary language spoken, blah, blah, blah. But um, I I made zero efforts to learn any French. So um, I was like, okay, cool, Portuguese, whatever. And then someone, I think when we joined the Facebook group, they were like, it's surrounded on all sides by English speaking countries. So English is also a big language. And I was like, Oh, cool. Okay. So I was just really excited. And, um, I, I did everything I could. I got my wisdom teeth removed. They're like, we recommend it, but we don't require it. And I was like, let me show you how much I want this. Did you have any fears about going to Peace Corps? And if so, what was the biggest one? Um, again, being a young asshole who is not mature, I was scared of not finishing my service. Um, I was scared to be teeing and that's a really, really, really immature thing to care about. Um, especially considering how many like serious things happened to us. Um, and I had a couple security incidents too. So things that I should have been afraid of did in fact actually happen to me and things that I should not have cared about because they were not the most important part of the experience were things that I cared about a ton. Let's transition to training in Namasha. What do you remember about Namasha? Oh, man, I have a very, very good Namasha story, which also is like a very, very good. I know everyone says they had like a great family and they love their family. But like I was my family's first volunteer. They were so proud to have me there. I was this really tall white guy that just stuck out in like our little tiny neighbor, our little tiny bio. Um, And I just felt like I had this awesome connection with them and I, and I know they were getting paid to have us, but like, here's how I knew they loved me. So like my house was three rooms, um, a main middle room that was, um, that was um, paved that had like some stuff in it, like a deep freeze and then a gas stove. And they had a TV where we watched music videos. And then there was another room where my parents slept and they brought my brother and sister in there 
um, so that there would be a spare room for Peace Corps. And then the third room was my Peace Corps room. And it was what Peace Corps said they had to have. It had a door with a lock on it. It had a bed with a net on it. And it had a chair in there and a table and very little else. But it also had this like um, cardboard rectangle on the wall. And in my ignorance, I was like, okay, whatever. Like that's, that was like their picture of Gabuza or that was their family frame or like they just left that there. And I'm not going to say anything because I'm a guest here. And like, I appreciate it. Like my Portuguese was so bad. But they taught us how to say thank you, and they taught us how to say bathroom, and they taught us a couple things. And so, you know, I just kind of ignored the cardboard square. And a day or two into training, um, you know, I was trying to keep my space separate, but you can't keep your African Mai from getting into your room and cleaning the shit out of it. And so she just kind of like pushed beside me and was like cleaning everything. And I, I felt so obligated. And, you know, I was like, thank you for all this. And then my host mother, Fatima, Mama Fatima, she points at the cardboard rectangle. She's like, do you like this? Or it's like this. And I was like, yes, thank you. Thank you. Bad Portuguese. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Everything. And she's like, do you use it? And I was like, my Portuguese is bad. And I was like, what do you mean? Do I use it? She's like, do you use it? And I, I just looked crazy or something. And so she grabbed the cardboard square. She took it over to the chair and put it on the chair. And then she sat on it. Dude, my family had made me a toilet seat. Okay. Because we had the, um, what's it called? We had the outhouse or whatever. That was like the chimney. Cause like not all latrines were just holes in the ground. Some of them were like bricked up like chimneys. And so my neighborhood, cause like we didn't have our own bathroom. We shared it with like a couple other huts or not huts, but you know, like little dwellings and stuff. Um, my family had maybe my own toilet seat that I could carry out there with me place on the chimney sit on do my business and then i roll it up and i take it back with me and like that blew me away and i used it and it was good that was that you know i remember another peace corps volunteer did not go number two for roughly 13 days uh due to some some anxiety constipation and i can definitely uh identify with that um but like my host family made me feel at home you know and like that was love and oh man i have a bunch more stories about them doing lovely inappropriate things but like that one really sticks with me because like they were like these these mazungus like they sit on the chimney for some reason like don't let him get dirty i love my host family you have a favorite memory from the masha or something else you'd like to share I really, really loved the social vibes of all of us getting together in Namasha. Like I, I was just a tad bit older than some of the other volunteers. Like I think I was like 27 or 28 and like the bulk of our volunteers were like under the age of 25. So like I'd been out of college and then just like being back in like this one like neighborhoody thing where we all went to classes together, but we could all still drink and like hang out and do stuff. It really reminded me of like, a high school or like a really small town college vibe so like sometimes we would meet at casa dos dois one time some of us like ran a half marathon into swaziland and like nick edwards just like was running with us he was like i'm just gonna go run to trace fronteras and he just ran up there um we walked down to like the uh the waterfalls you know I really liked my language group you know my language group was like a really cool um crew and I remember we had like teacher Fabian, that guy was hilarious. And so 
I have really fond memories of um, really fun, solid relationships that formed during training um, that I didn't anticipate. Like I, I had not done a ton of research on what Peace Corps training was like. And so I knew I was going to go like live somewhere by myself ish for a year or two, but I really didn't anticipate meeting people who were like to this day, like my best friends, you know, like I, my, uh, okay. Part of my, how did Namasha and Peace Corps prepare me for the um, pandemic? My main text chain was uh, three other PCVs, like a most of Tiener and two most 14ers. And we were a book club and we read stuff together. We watched stuff together. We did that thing where we like got on Zoom together. So that prepared me for the pandemic, making some friends. Let's see. Teacher bar. That was a good one. Caitlin's dad's bar. Uh, we did Thanksgiving together. And I remember that Forrest made a damn good gazpacho. Uh, we did Halloween together and Ariel dressed as Daniel and Angela was funny about being like, why does everyone think my hair is great? And it's cause like she, uh, spun a Fanta bottle into her hair. That was her, uh, Halloween thing. So I was like, I was just remembering all these very specific Namasha memories. And I'm like, man, like what are the circumstances that a group of 70 people like us would get together, do that stuff. And then people were talking about Nagoma time. like. Audie, Audie and I were way too into Nagoma time and the competitive nature of Nagoma time, even though it was kind of supposed to be there to uh, bring us closer to like everyone. It was a lot of fun. It was kind of like adult summer camp. All right, let's transition to your service in Mozambique. What three words would you use to best describe your experience? Um, I think the first one's connections because I, I definitely had an incredibly social experience uh there were always volunteers at my house which was fine like i really 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 enjoyed that aspect of my service um when i got to site um i was splitting a a house with another um family but um basically there was a big concrete wall in the middle and so there was like a big bedroom two smaller bedrooms a kitchen uh they came with a fridge um a gas stove i'd never hooked up um so we mostly just cooked outside and i ate a lot of peanut butter and crackers because black cat was life and um you know so i and i live next to the beach i lived less than an eighth of a k from the beach so people came and visited which was always fun um i there was the ifp was also not in town so the thing is like i do think that like where my site was located did affect it because i had a lot of fun being with my ifp students like i taught the English Torma, um, eight classes a week, but I would also like bring my computer over and we'd watch a movie on the weekends. Like they really liked animated movies. So we would watch like Disney stuff or like Star Wars was a gigantic hit. Um, and we would reference Star Wars. I was the, um, I also became the coach of our four on four, like basketball court street soccer team. And I was like, guys, I don't know how soccer works, but then I did actually help them with their adjustment. We became a more defensive-minded team as opposed to just like kicking it forward. Um, and then this other thing too was there's this whole like expat hotel community, which would always give me rides. And this woman named Miss Mandy uh, who did like a horse safari thing. And so she always had different people coming in and out. So I had an incredibly social like connections experience because um yeah, again, like the pandemic did not prepare me for like any isolation because I was always just doing stuff with people. 
Um, and if people weren't visiting me, then I was like off visiting other people's sites. Like I had a really not typical site. So it was kind of cool to go to like Panda and it was cool to go to, uh, I went to Mabalan. I was, I was like one of two people who wasn't forced to go to Mabalan and I went to Mabalan. You were the first one to visit. Yes. Uh, I went to Dome Bay, uh, went to, I just went to a lot of places. And so that was, that was a really wonderful part of my, I guess, travel was another really wonderful part of my experience. Like I wanted to go a lot of places. And so I did actually get to hit all 10 provinces. Um, one of them, I went to Cabo Delgado during my COS trip, but I guess it still counts to nobody but myself. Um, so travel was a really big part of it. Indian Bomb is a super beautiful province. I, I mean, the other part of my crime was just the other part of like my service experience. Like I had a couple incidents and one of them, I, I did end up testifying against the guy who robbed me at knife point on the beach um and it was very interesting because i was in a mozambican courtroom and like the five judges uh wore like big robes and they had like the white wigs um that went down and stuff and so i testified at his trial to get him sent away for a little longer um because he'd been terrorizing the uh the neighborhood um and they were like let's get andre to go testify against him like he'll be gone by the time he gets out of jail I found out at the trial he'd been put away before that for murdering his mother. So like that was not stuff I knew before I got there. Oh, and also when I went to the trial, he was a lot shorter than I remembered. But I mean he had a you know he had a knife. So it's possible it's a different person. No, I remembered him. I remembered, you know. But oh um, I mean, we have learned recently that like traumatic memory can be deceiving. So maybe I convinced myself that. Thanks, James. There's some it's a nice little uh <laughs> yeah, to pick up. You just said he looked a lot shorter. I mean that dude, that's well, like in my memory, he was hulking and like I was heroic and I did a spin move. And then when I saw him, I was like, Oh bro, you're not taller than me. Like, which was, you know, a lot of Mo- Mozambican men tended to be a bit shorter than me. So that shouldn't have been that surprising. He may have been sent to Mobilon as well. Maybe. All right. Well, uh, I I lost track of, of words. I'm 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 going to say you. Oh, you yes. Connections, there. connections, travel, and crime. One one time I was in my house and like my house got broken in two while I was just in the back and I came back out and there's stuff missing and I was like, the interesting thing was I was one of the few volunteers who got some stuff back. You know when people when people talk about having you know not having faith in the police, like I'm like, well, the Mozambican police helped me. I have an excellent blog post written by you about visiting Ma, Ma Balon. I think I should put it in the show notes. But what do you remember about visiting Ma Balon? Uh, I remember so many things about visiting Ma Balon, but I bet you there's two specific parts that you want to talk about or that you want to reference. It's and your so, interview. I know. But I mean, I can, I, I'd rather you tell, if you want to tell one of them, that'd be wonderful. But um, I can pick either or. Okay, let, let me tell one, one of them. Yeah, you tell one of them. Drew came to visit us and he had to go to the bathroom, which is very normal. He goes to go to the bathroom. He comes back and he, he asks us for bug spray. Forrest and I are, are laughing at him. Uh, we're making fun of him. Uh, you know, both of us are being hard on him. Drew, 
we don't have bug spray. You go to the bathroom. Okay. Stop being, you know, stop being so soft. This isn't villain Kulush. And then, uh, so Drew goes and goes to the bathroom later on when I have to go to the bathroom, I, I, and, and we have an outdoor latrine. I go to the latrine and it's a swarm of flies, like the big horse flies. I've never seen flies like this before. This is not the normal, uh, a, a, a latrine experience. I don't go in there. I go and walk off for, further in, in into just the brush and go to the bathroom out in the middle of nowhere. And then I come back and I, and I have to apologize to Drew because, I mean, it was crazy in there. Like the amount of flies that were in there was, were, there were so many. It had never been like that before. That's one of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's one of them. Yeah. Like that's the thing. It was, it was like, you know, that scene from The Exorcist, man, it was possessed in there. So that was the refrain. That was the, you're not feeling cool loose anymore. Yes, yes, which kind of set set the scene for the weekend. Yes. So that, that happened on like either Thursday or Friday. The next thing that happened on a Saturday morning was we decided to go out in the morning and we were going to hike to the swimming spot in the river. And everyone was like, why are you going to go there? There's crocodiles. And then we were like, it doesn't matter. It'll be fine. Um, so we started walking. And it's hot. I'm not a morning eater. I don't, I don't, I still to this day don't like to have a big morning meal. I like to just kind of like drink some coffee or have something, something small, and then like build up my appetite to a lunch or something. But I really should have fortified myself much better because this little tiny hike that you guys, you know, like said was going to be quick or short or not that bad. I don't know if anyone said quick or short. We had, so this, so we had never gone to the river before. Well, okay. So then maybe, okay. That makes a lot of sense because you know, the whole thing about like law versus law. So I think someone had told you guys that it wasn't that law, but it was in fact quite law. No, I think we knew that it was far. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, I was not prepared because lo and behold about what would turn out to be a halfway or a third of the way there, my flip-flop snaps. Actually your flip-flop snapped on the way back, but but uh, just to add some context, so we so we are walking out there, and there were some trails that that the locals use, and 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 I had ran on a bunch of the trails before, so I knew the river wasn't that close because I'd never ran to the river. The river was about seven kilometers, I think. So we're walking out there, and we're just taking random trails. We know what direction the river is, and but there were points where we had to like knee deep in mud. Oh yeah, it was actually very cool. Like like I felt like a little kid. And then, and then we got to the river on the way back, your sandals snapped. I forgot we were like wading knee deep in mud on the way there. That has just come back to me. Yeah. So no, we get to the river. People still telling us don't get in the river. Forrest gets in the river immediately. Um, and like gets the furthest out there of anyone. I get up to like my ankles in the river flop down because it was very hot and then immediately get out. You did something a little bit similar um but like we did not see a crocodile yeah on the way back we're walk walk walking and yes my flip-flop snaps in the hot sand and basically i say to james i'm like james like i need you to take your strappy bag and i need you to like tie it around my foot because like my strappy sandal is not working right now so come on help me out and james says james you said no immediately really i don't remember this you said no and you laughed because I then tried to buy some shoes from a Mozambican man 
who we had encountered in the brush. We just saw him coming and I was trying to buy his shoes and you and Forrest were laughing really, really, really hard. And so when this guy who- In our defense, and most of you know how Drew is behaving. Drew was <laughs> very, very upset yeah. with this guy who was cycling by because the guy would not give him. I was his not upset shoes. with him. I was upset with you. Well, but but you were taking it out on the like you were upset. No, with I everything. was not taking it out on the guy. You're mixing <laughs> okay. this up. You're mixing Maybe this up I with am. a different. You're mixing this up. With the day. I was mad when we were in Malawi and those guys pulled over and tried to get some more money. My I got memories a little different than you. Drew was definitely mad. Okay, he was definitely mad. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Forrest and James took me to a crocodile river through mud. And then when I needed his strappy bag, there's no strappy bag to be found. So the guy went and the ground was extremely hot. I mean, the ground was like super hot and it was sandy. Yeah, yeah it was super hot. Like there was <laughs> like, cause it was like, hey, Drew, why don't you just take off your other sandal and just walk home? <laughs> no, it burned. And then like on either side of the sandy road was just like thick brackety, like, you know, like sticks with thorns or something. I don't know. Like just, we went through a couple scenarios. None of them were good. And you really didn't want me to like wrap the. It was my backpack. It was like my toes. Yeah. My toes, James. <laughs> I need those for balance. You know, I'll get you a backpack in Maputo. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so we get back, and like I have great pictures of this. We get to y'all's like um, half chicken place, and each of us downs an entire half chicken. Each of us downs an entire like two liter of Fanta or something, or like a liter of Fanta and then a giant water. And then I guess we're close enough to the South African border that there was like WCW wrestling from the 1990s on this little TV. But I have never like very few things in my life have made me as happy as like that half chicken and that soda and that water. Cause that was really, really long. And also it was harrowing dude. Like my shoe also that weekend you did have you like shaved half my head and then told me you weren't going to shave the other half because you said you'd give me a haircut i'm pretty sure i gave you a haircut i i think what happened was you came with like a ridiculous haircut and i fixed it for you you know listeners the blog post will correct any inaccuracies from me or drew because it was written 12 years ago when it actually happened the primary source document as i would tell my students yes <laughs> okay those those are some good mobilon stories yeah what what do you miss most about mozambique i really 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 miss again up and down their relationships and stuff because i was in such close contact with like my host family even after i left like namasha like my first eight months at site before um my my host mother got sick um they would like they would text me and check on me and they're like, what are you eating? And they're like, you can't just eat eggs. Cause I made them some scrambled eggs, like as a way to like share culture. And they're like, they're like, Andre eat more than eggs. And so they would check on me. Um, I did become, you know, there's, there's a lot of really cool students my second year, my second Torma. Uh, but I have such great memories of like my first year students, like Zachariah and Paola. And then we did like some really cool ready stuff with the people in Mapanyani. Um, and then just like the relationships with volunteers, you know, just like texting people and bugging them and having your M cell six and uh, just, you know, one thing I remember clearly and like, I know there's an undercurrent of not telling Peace Corps where you were going, but like 
you know, my school had more holidays than I had Peace Corps vacation days. So like there would be holidays where we're just like, they're like, we're not having school. And I was like, do you guys want me to do anything? And they're like, no, you know, or they'd be like, or we have this like super long faculty meeting. And I'm like, do I have to go? And they're like, no. And I was like, cool. So one thing I really love and miss is I had this backpack and just like the feeling of like putting on your sunscreen and packing your backpack and like, you know, drinking some water and it's like heading out to the road, you know, and like you knew you're going to Balea, you knew you're probably going to get where you needed to go by the end of the day. But there's just like a lot of adventure, a lot of street food in between, you know, like just eating stuff as you went and then like maybe grabbing a beer at the cruise and meant to. But I really, really miss um, those moments of just like walking out and then knowing I wouldn't be back for like four or five days and I was going to take Shapa's or I was going to Balea and like the backpack would get so cruddy. Like, I think this might've actually been our time in Malawi, but this one, no, coming back from Malawi, I think I stayed at Kayla's site and we ended up making some kind of pasta dish where we used Amanda butter. Like remember Amanda butter where like, it was like a margarine, but it could stay room temperature. I do not. Okay. Well, like basically uh, we used part of my shirt to wipe out a particularly you know tough piece of amanda butter and i remember getting back like maybe eight days later to my site and finding the shirt and the smell being like insane but like that was it man you just shoved all your stuff into a backpack and you were off and you were kind of smelly the whole time and it was cool adventures what do you miss least about mozambique the crime slash danger because this is it was very interesting to listen to Aaron's episode and kind of reflect on like my experiences coming back because I I did have a security incident like a it could have been more violent um but it was like the the knife mugging and then my house did get broken into twice when I was asleep and then once when I was awake and so my my wife and even when we were dating like apparently I would have these really weird nights where like I would kind of sleep panic and like I would get up out of bed and like just kind of be freaked out about what was going on and not know what was going on. Um, and so when I reflect on my sleep and my rest and like my, like my mental place during my service, like, um, yeah. And I made, I made bad decisions too, you know? So like, I didn't, I didn't always take care of myself that way, but yeah, it did take me a while to kind of sleep comfortably or sleep normally. And, uh knowing what i know now about mental health i'm like wow it's a really bad sign of some things that you know i probably should have dealt with earlier speaking of bad situations you put yourself into what's the worst thing you did most trouble you could have gotten into you can define those terms however you would like uh traveling at night uh and i didn't i didn't make the habit of this I, I justified it to myself every time, but it was always stupid and dangerous. Um, this one time, Matt Bondrick and I were coming back from Angosh, and we got stuck in Ultima Lokwe, and we were just trying to get, like, a Balea out, and Ultima Lokwe was, like, a truck stop, so you could get, like, a bad ride in a big 18-wheeler, or you could um, get a better ride in a smaller car, but for whatever reason, man, and, like, you know, we talked about guys versus girls, um, hitchhiking, but I also think that like white guys really got lucky because people were more often just curious about like, Hey, where's your car? 
you know, they'd stop and be like, why are you hitchhiking? And then I'd tell them and they'd give me a ride. So it wasn't that bad for me, but I guess two white guys together, like we tried to belay a, or we just tried to catch a ride for like more than five hours. Like we just justified it and tried to hang out. And then at the very end, we got into a pickup truck, the corners of it where like the Mozambican dudes had like stuffed all the Carvao into the bed and then four Mozambicans were sitting their backs to the cab. And so there were two spots left in the outside corners and we kind of just dug our heels in there. And then we rode through the construction they were doing between Ultima Lokwe and Kilimani for like all night almost. And then when we got to the little cruisamento between Kilimani and the EN1, like we just like stood next to trash fires because we were like really cold. That was one of the stupidest things. And then there's other times where like I was just out at like driving at night, you know. And um, one time I, I, I mean, I wasn't driving, but I was just like in a ride at night, and I was like, I'll get to my next thing. Like I'll get to my next thing. And like those were always very dangerous, very stupid decisions. So, is there anything you used to do a lot in Mozambique that you never or rarely do now? That's maybe hasn't been mentioned 10 times yet a lot of day drinking drinking in general um i don't i don't drink alcohol nearly the same way i did i in mozambique um and i rem- i i hope like many of us don't because um you know that was definitely an aspect of the culture that you know some volunteers uh definitely took on which was like um i'll drink socially i'll drink during the day i'll drink a ton at night so like my my drinking habits have definitely changed um you know wouldn't wouldn't mind having another like kaisha of manika or dosham you know if i didn't have to drive anywhere if we were all staying at the same place or just hanging out and stuff but you know showing up at a remote beach with a kaisha and camping on the beach you know like that was it if you're an Inyabon province person um, you were borrowing someone's tent and you were camping on the beaches. So I do not camp on nearly as many beaches. I don't do nearly as much day drinking as I used to. What was your malaria medication adherence plan? Do- Doxy, two and a half years. You should not take a uh, an antibiotic for two years. I am now kind of, uh, I get a reaction to Cipro. So I, I think like an entire... Uh, um, antibiotic course slash family has been cut off for me, which, you know, I mean, as long as there's no super bugs on the horizon, which there are, I should be fine. Yeah. So what do you think? Uh, would you take something else? Would you risk getting malaria? What's, what's your hindsight preference that you should have done? Probably. I mean, doxy was probably the best thing for me. Um, because like, I know a lot more about my mental health, like, I, I miss your question of what would you tell yourself on the first day of training? If you woke up, I'd be like, Dr. Isabella, give me all the Lexapro, you know, like give it all to me. But, um, Is I think that a question think, was, was that yes. a question? Yeah, that was a question. Oh, it disappeared off the list. Well, okay, let's do it. What would you do if you woke up and it was day one of training? That is a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, again, like it's, it's like that, uh, there's like a Ron Swanson meme where he's like, give me all the bacon. And then he stops the waiter and he's like, I think you misheard me. You think I mean, give me a lot of the bacon, give me all the bacon. So I just would have grabbed Dr. Isabella's elbow and been like, give me all the Lexapro. 
give me all the antidepressants. So um, that's what I would have told her on the first day. That might have that that might have impacted some of my relationships and friendships in Peace Corps. Um, you know, having a more calm, chill, less anxious Drew. Uh, but maybe Doxy was the best thing for me because like Larium and what I know now about the way my mind works um, or how I deal with myself probably would have been terrible. I don't know. What you said that all people get to choose now between three options. What are the three options? There's a Malarone. I don't know what the chemical makeup of the Malarone is. So there's a generic Larium. I'm pretty sure it's a generic Larium. So, and then there's the, the doxy, the dro the droxy, the doxycycline. So that's one of them as well. And then there's the, whatever the, um, Malarone or Malarone, I can't recall what, exactly what it is. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what that is. Yeah. I'll say this one time I did have a malaria scare and I got a malaria test very quickly and it appeared as if the malaria medication, at least at my site was easy to access. So maybe what I could have done is just, I don't know, wrist it or something. I kind of made this deal with myself that if I took the malaria medication, I wouldn't do the bed net. So I never had a bed net, but I, I also had a reasonably secure home, like much more so than I think other people who had like a Kinesu house. Did you know that you were a mental health risk? Because that you shouldn't take larium if you know that you have risk for mental illness. Uh, I did not have any type of formal diagnosis at the time. Uh, I have gotten to know myself a lot better and have a diagnosis with my doctor now. I, I have a therapist, like, you know, I have a really good therapist. She's awesome. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. There's a student at my school who likes to say that therapy isn't just for people with problems. Therapy is for everybody, you know, so everybody could use an hour every now and then, you know, hopefully every, you know, two weeks or so to just, talk about themselves, talk about things that are going on with them. So I, I cannot recommend um, therapy enough. And I've also had a really great um, experience with antidepressants and things. So, uh, you know, if you're a person who's been thinking like, um, if you're a little bit freaked out by the process or whatever, A, you can email me, you can hit me on the Slack, I'm on there. Uh, or B, you can just know that like I had reservations and everybody I talked to was fully equipped and prepared to discuss those reservations and made me feel really good about the process. And I've been, um, in therapy on and off with the same practitioner for, uh, about a year and a half now. And my life is so much better. My marriage is so much better. I feel like a much better parent too. Yeah. Do you think it helps having the stigma of therapy is also a lot better over the course of our life? Yes. Oh yeah. There's a, there's a great uh, meme or something where it's like boomers and it's like, James is in therapy. And then it says millennials. <laughs> and it's like, LOL, guess what my therapist told me? And I'm like, yeah, that's a really nice generational difference in terms of how we think about mental health. So how has, or did your Peace Corps experience change you and what lasting impressions does that still have on you? Um, I think a really important part of how my Peace Corps experience changed me was, again, like decentering myself in the realm of service and teaching. Um, I think I had like a very much like, you know, like true centric view of the way a classroom would conduct itself or the way that like my service would go. And then I had really, really good friends and really, really cool peers and colleagues. Like I'm, I'm specifically thinking about this conversation that I had with my sister when she was visiting and Vivian uh, in tofu about like the quote unquote American dream and like what does service look like 
um, to different people and the reasons why we engage in service um, really helped me kind of distance myself. And in a way, I think it's like helped my teaching career in general, you know, because like if I if I try and make like my teaching, you know, about me or about the things that I'm looking for or trying to centering my students experiences with me, like I only really see them for like 45 minutes a day. You know, and so like a lot of times when stuff is going on with my students, it's not about me, um, but I can be a person who can help, you know, and so like by kind of making my experiences and making um, my, um, you know, um, my interactions with students and other people more intentional, um, I can be a, like a better person, essentially. So I really like that um, Peace Corps helped show me kind of how small or that I'm a part of other people's journey um as opposed to like making it kind of all about me and i think that's definitely extended my educational career you know and kind of helped stave off some of the burnout so 45 minutes a day five days a week that's that's almost four hours a week that's that's very substantial i mean if you think about it, especially you know teenagers that's a very significant amount of time to spend with someone or, or for a teenager to spend with someone yeah but they get they get 72 minutes a day with their math teacher so, you know, again, there's, there's a little bit more in terms of math. And then, you know, the other thing too is like, they get a bunch of time at home with their parents. But as we will see in the next 10 years, I don't know how much quality time, I think it's possible that for, I won't say majority of your students, but a, a good amount of your students that you probably spend more quality time with them than, than their parents. I can acknowledge that, but I also like to say to my students and to my families, I'm like, children are a reflection of a parent's and a household's values. So no matter how much they may listen to me or no matter how much I impact them, they're still going to be very, very greatly impacted by their home environment. And so I really like, yeah, I really like to think about that in terms of my daughters um, and like how they present my home and my values to the world. But like back to my point, though, I think you're short changing yourself to say that I only spend 45 minutes with this kid. I think that's that's the part that I was focusing on. 45 minutes a day, 34 other kids. Yeah, it's shared. It's shared time. I still there's still remnants of like me trying to go above and beyond and push in. Like I, I actually had a student um, at the end of this year come up and say, like, goodbye. Like it meant a lot to me that like, you know, when you said hi in the hallways and asked about us, it felt like you cared. And I was like, I do care. <laughs> so, you know, there's still remnants of the old, young, going to save the world, Drew Garland. But he got older. Yeah, it's probably, you know, it's good to keep a little bit around. Yeah. Do you have any Fofoka to share? Yes, I do. And I want to announce something. Um, be brave, the rest of us, okay? Because not only am I going to share Fofoka... I'm going to share some named Fafoka. So I know someone did like a bleep out and I know someone changed the name. I'm going to change one aspect of this story, but I'm ready to, to share Fafoka. And I hope that this inspires the rest of us to share Fafoka by name. Um, and if you've already done your episode, to send, J to send James a voice memo so that you can also share some Fafoka by name. And we'll have a Patreon special of just Fafoka. Okay. <laughs> this is a story from training from Namasha. And um, like all good stories, this one's like lore, you know, like this story is a little bit myth, a little bit fact, but it's been told so often. It's just part of our, um, it's just part of our, uh, like the tapestry of our experience. So, ah, man, I don't know if you guys know James the way I do. Cause like James, James and I, like we hiked Mount Kilimanjaro together. James was a groomsman in my wedding. 
Um, I've seen James a few times after we had kids, which you know is a big deal because like that's the true test of friendship. Um, and so I just I say that saying that I just I know James a little bit more than some people might. And so if you don't know this about James, James hates to wear underwear, which is <laughs> pretty He's pretty okay with telling people about, but if you don't know him super well, James will not wear underwear if possible. James, are you wearing underwear right now? Nope. Yep. There we go. So, so basically James doesn't wear underwear and this becomes an important part of the story in a second because. Unfortunately, there were, there were a few years of my life when I was a teacher where I had to, I had to buckle down and buy some undies. Oh, and that did more, that more than anything contributed to the downfall of said career. But, um, so basically, this fact becomes important because a PCV who will not be named because I really want her to come on and do an episode. And so I won't call her out right now. She saw James bucket bathing in his front yard. And, you know, James was bucket bathing in his front yard. He wasn't doing it naked, but um, apparently he was wearing those, those swim trunks that didn't have an inner mesh. And various adjectives have been used, but this, this, our, this um, trainee really appreciated james's package and you know magnificent penis like wonderful like majestic anything you guys want to say like basically like describe the statue of liberty and like i've heard a version of this i have brought this up to james before and this has been james get my back on this this one is a real story that actually happened because it's in your peace corps journal it, there, there's a good chance that it's true. It did make my Peace Corps journal. But Moe's 15 reunion. Listen to me. I've named names. Okay, James Gomes. Wow, you you are so brave. You named me. I know. I didn't say who I was going to name, but there you go. So, <laughs> so Moe's 15, man. Just let it rip. Let it go. All right. That's my Fofoka. I have a new question. Okay. I'm going to go back to a question that's been dropped that, that we just, that, that we did discuss a little bit. What would you do if you woke up and it was day one of training? Okay. So, so let's, so let's reframe this and I'm going to continue to ask people this question. What would you do if you woke up? It was the first day of training. You have all the hindsight as right now. So you're obviously, it's very unlikely that you're going to get your same site. It's very unlikely that you're going to meet your wife. So like, you're pretty much starting a new life. <laughs> you got to find a way to simplify this question. Your first option is, do you ET? That's your first option. No. Oh my gosh, man. Like my, my wife gets mad at me because I say joining Peace Corps is the best decision of my life. Like I, I had so much fun. I had so many adventures. I learned a lot about myself. I gained patience that I needed. I, I think that, you know, there are things I regret about my life and there are things I wish I could change, but like my Peace Corps journey was incredible and the people I met were incredible and the mistakes I made are the mistakes that make me who I am today. I do genuinely go back to my original answer, which was I wish I'd gotten medicated a lot earlier um, because, you know, aspects of my anxiety and depression probably negatively affected, um, you know, some relationships that I wish hadn't been affected that way. So I do kind of go back to that answer as in like, I wish I'd been, I wish I'd been better mentally prepared, but in terms of like, is there a risk they send you home? Probably not. Right. Hopefully not. Cause it is training. Yeah, it's training. Um, 
and then hope maybe maybe I just should have had a better uh, discussion with like my um, primary care physician in the United States for them to be like, hey, this guy's cool. Just give him like this low dose of this one medication. Um, so I, I'd be very interested to see what a more balanced um, Drew Garland would do. But I'm also very, very happy with where I ended up and, you know, how things have turned out. So uh, I, yeah, that's it. I would just say like, give me the, give me the good pills. All right. So further the context of future interviewees. Yeah. So I have a reoccurring nightmare. It doesn't happen very often, but I have this nightmare where I wake up and I'm in boot camp. Now that now that's the really twisted uh, thought thought experiment. What what do I do if I wake up tomorrow morning and it's boot camp? So like Peace Corps is fun. Um, boot camp is not. You know, so it's like, am I going to redo boot camp? Uh, that that's a tough decision because the quickest way out of boot camp is actually complete it properly because it takes longer to go out the other way. I think a, I think a a better analogy for me would be like wake up on my first day of student teaching. It's like, Ooh. do I still? Do I still? Oh, I've done a student a student teaching. That's pretty bad as well. Yeah, maybe that's the maybe that's the bigger crossroads or not. Eh, it's a it's a decent crossroads. Okay, the new question. This is a a first time question listeners but um it's sparked by annie and i b annie b and i's conversation so and i'm going to start asking this to everyone and sorry for those that didn't get a chance to answer it all right a super rich person reaches out to you and says drew you're a good person i trust you i'm giving you 10 billion dollars and i want you to do whatever you want to do with it what are you going to do with this 10 billion dollars drew Ah, uh, that is a good question. I listened to Annie's answer. Annie had a very good answer. Now, I'm curious if Annie would still do that same thing if it was $10 billion. Would she send it to Africa or Asia or split it up to the undeveloped world? I'm not sure. Maybe she can give a response on Slack. This is a cool question. Um, this will reveal a little bit about people's personal values, I guess. Exactly. But um, um, so there's an organization that I've supported before that I, I think you get a lot of really good bang for your buck in terms of like improving societal needs while also kind of helping some people, which is the National Association um, for the Drug Courts Program. Um, drug courts are basically, um, it's a court system that's been set up in, I believe last time I checked, it was more than 38 states, but it's a system where you have a non-competitive um system to affect to um address drug offenses um so basically helping addicts into treatment and helping them to find social services that will support them and support their families as opposed to just simply incarcerating them um so it's it's a it's a great organization um they help a disproportionate amount of um unhoused people um especially veterans and stuff too so um, I think it's, um, if you look it up, it's NADCP, um, we have periodically given them donations, but I also love to give them shout outs. And so I think that um, uh, a drug, like the the model that they use where like the prosecutor and the defend and the, um, the defendant's attorney work together in conjunction with the judge and the, um, what's it called, the person being prosecuted to figure out what's going to be like the best way for them to kind of put their life back together and to not fall back into addiction. 9 billion goes that way. And then 1 billion for, and then 1 billion for me. And you know, like, Hey, I, the person I, trusts I, you. The person trusts you. I'm on, I'm on donors choose. You know, I've used donors choose before. You think I don't want to just like be like Stephen Colbert and pay for all the donors choose in a state. He did that for South Carolina. You know, 
But uh, yeah, if you're asking me about like $10 billion, one lump sum, where do I think it could do a lot of really good stuff? I um, guess you don't have to necessarily give it to one lump sum, but. NADCP, $9 billion, $1 billion to be dripped and drabbed by Drew Garland for the rest of his life while also not requiring him to work. What do you think of Peace Corps as a government agency? It's a good transition question. I know. I like this question because I want to look at Peace Corps from the view of like being a public educator. Um, so like, I know people, we're all very critical of Peace Corps and like where the money could go and what it could do. But I'm also like, well, look what Peace Corps does with its shitty budget. You know, like how many volunteers did we have in country at the time that we were there? Like 200, like 200 volunteers in a country that's twice as long as California with infrastructure issues. They got us medication. They got us reasonably trained. They probably got 60% of us at sites where we could do something. And then, you know, half of the other people made it work, you know? So, you know, with, with the shoestring budget that Peace Corps is working with and the fact that like, yes, Peace Corps works in Mozambique, but like does Peace Corps Mozambique resemble Peace Corps Moldova? You know, like it's a, it's a multinational organization. You know, if you think about like where it works and what it does, and it's old and it's bureaucratic. So, I mean, for, you know, for as entrenched a system as it is, for as wide a net as it casts and for as many hats as it has to wear, Peace Corps is not that bad. Exactly. There's an interview that's going to come out before Drew's with Charlie and Charlie says something very sim- similar along the lines of what Drew just said. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... You know, if you look at it in a very specific way, Peace Corps, it's kind of amazing what Peace Corps does based on like what they give it. But that's also a testament to the people, you know, like one thing that I didn't expect that I really enjoyed about Namasha was, you know, I went to college 45 minutes away from where I grew up. I, every, all my connections were North Carolina. If my connections weren't North Carolina, it was just other teachers and stuff. And to go meet like such a cool array of, you know, a lot of young Americans, but other types of Americans too. Um, in our Peace Corps group was amazing to me, you know, like it, it really did. Yeah. It created like some of the greatest friendships I've had as well as people who inspire me. Would you do Peace Corps again? And if so, when? Yes. When one of my kids does it, my wife would never do Peace Corps in a million years, but wouldn't it be cool if like one of my two kids, like what if like they go to Guatemala? I was like, dude, I'll do a Peace Corps response thing in Guatemala, or maybe like I'll do a Peace Corps response thing in Nicaragua, you know? And that could be like a shared experience. So like, that would be cool, you know, like a, a bunch of people. So it's funny because my oldest daughter is really into money right now. Like she wants to know how to get the monies, how to keep the monies and who makes the most monies. Like she knows that mom makes way more monies than dad. Um, and so she probably won't want to be a Peace Corps volunteer, but she's hardy. And she's like, you know, she'll do anything. She's an adventurer. The younger kid, we don't know much about her values, except that she's a she's a troll. Like she makes her sister upset on purpose because it abuses her. But like, you know, if she does grow up as a Drew Garland vibe, you know, she might be more willing to be a teacher, more willing to do like service work. But she has an incredibly low pain threshold and also does not do well outside. So which, you know, maybe that describes Drew Garland, too. So maybe she's going to Mozambique as well. This is a spontaneous new question. Whose kids are most likely to join the Peace Corps? And you can include anyone from most 15. Oh. Um, feel, feel free to go with someone that maybe doesn't have kids, but you think that they're still most likely. I mean, genetically speaking, 
I mean, Annie, Annie's got to send that third generation in. Um, although there was a there was a cool uh, Moe's 17er guy named Chris who was born in Malawi when his parents um, were volunteers and they remembered him in the village. So he might have another like Peace Corps baby. Uh, he's not in Moe's 15er though. Audie has twins. So, I mean, maybe there's like an odds thing there baby jamie man like i mean she's not a baby anymore but jamie is hardy jamie's adaptable she's got a really good sense of humor you know she's yeah maybe baby jamie jamie gomes you know she wants to be an artist so she's not going to have any other skills that she can use peace corps might be her only choice there you go all right post mozambique media recommendations hit me with every single one okay album Oh, uh, Midnight's. It's a good album. Is that Taylor Swift? Yes, it is. All right. Best song or, or a couple songs. So actually, um, Spanish music has taken over my car because my daughter is in a Spanish immersion program. So all the music in my car is Spanish. So um, Soy Yo, it's a really fun one that she's getting into. Um, Después de la Playa, uh, our buddy who speaks more Spanish says that Bad Bunny is filthy, but my kids love his songs. Um, uh, Madre Tierra, it's a really good one too. Okay, books. Okay, so fiction. Um, a really cool fiction book I just finished is The Poppy War by um, R.F. Kuang. Um, and it's a really interesting mix of high and low fantasy, like kind of high fantasy is like Lord of the Rings and like low fantasy is like Game of Thrones, like grim and gritty. This one's a nice in between because there's a lot of really cool, fantastical, magical elements. Um, but also I'm going to mispronounce this. It um, heavily reflects the Sino-Chinese conflicts where like one country is supposed to represent Japan and then the um, protagonist country is supposed to represent um pre-colonial they're not pre-colonial but just um kind of um dynastic china and so it's a really really interesting book where um the it has both fantastical elements but it's also really gritty and intense and uh, it has two sequels and i'm waiting um on the second one from the library Nonfiction. uh i'm glad my mother's dead um by janet mccurdy uh, it's been described as a hilarious book. It's not. It's mega depressing, but it's ultra readable. Um, it's by a um, a Disney, Nickel no, Nickelodeon um, child star. Um, and it's a little bit past my time, but it's fun. And I know there's people who are younger than me um, who are in our um, Peace Corps group. So you might like it. She's a really good writer too. Um, so um, small kind of interstitial um chapters and then it's so depressing just makes you want to cry but in a good way film pig but uh the nicholas cage movie um basically nicholas cage plays this burnt out uh michelin star uh chef who lives in the um the forest outside portland and he uses this pig to help him find these incredibly expensive truffles and that's how he makes his living by selling expensive mushrooms to these things and then a mobster kidnaps his pig and the story's off series television series streaming series y'all y'all gotta watch yellow jackets okay so like i told james this but yellow jackets is this show about this um 
state champion soccer team in New Jersey in 1996. And then they're on their way to um, the national championship in Seattle. But you know that if you fly from the East Coast to the West Coast, you go into parabola up towards the um, uh, North Pole. And so this particular soccer team, they crash in the wilderness for 18 months. And um, none of the kids will talk about what happened. Um, and the show is a little bit Lost-esque because it jumps from the time when it's younger actresses in the wilderness to when it's older actresses um, who are playing the same roles, but later time. They do a lot of fun things with time. And there's a lot of questions about like, um, you know, is is this really happening or is it magic? And cannibalism is a huge theme. How, how many seasons? Second, second season just ended. Second season just ended, um, and the showrunners slash producers promise that there's going to be a um, a special, you know, like how like the British television shows do specials and stuff, but it's not going to be a holiday special. It's going to be, no one knows exactly what it is, but the best theory is that it's going to be a um, uh, some kind of sideways story about like the wilderness, but before the girls got there. Um, people people who say it's like lord of the flies but with women sell it so short it's it's amazing live performance can be any uh music or theater or whatever uh my wife and i are trying to buy tickets to see sting at red rocks so you're you're choosing something you haven't seen yet well okay here's the other thing we're thinking and actually like i haven't seen yet but um so james do you know what taylor gating is Taylor? Taylor gating. So you go to a Taylor Swift concert and party in the parking lot? Pretty much. So if Taylor Swift is playing in her Eras tour, she is playing a, an, an open air stadium like Mile High Stadium is. She has this huge, I mean, she has like huge, like, you know, um, uh, light and sound everywhere, but you can just camp outside. You don't have to pay $1,500 for the ticket and you get all of the Eras tour. So um, I mean, I, I, I shouted out, uh, a concert I'm actually going to, but if you're going to grill me, I will say. Oh, it's your choice. I just thought it was a little in, in, interesting that your recommendation is something you haven't seen yet. It's very, that's, that's very confident in you. Red Rock. I've yet to see a bad Red Rock show. No, Red no, Rock I is have great. Bad, I have seen a bad Red Rock show. Um, we went and saw the Goo Goo Dolls there and they played it like it was a stadium tour. And I was like, play it like it's Red Rocks, man. But that's too bad. Yeah. Podcast. I listen to a lot of movie podcasts. Um, and so one of my favorite, two of my favorite ones are ones about bad movies. So the flop house and how did this get made is comedians making fun of bad movies, which is a lot of fun. Um, what went wrong is an amazing um, film history podcast where they um, tell the stories of troubled um, movie shoots and like what the um, outcome was there's a really cool one called tasteless which is um she's she's like um an executive assistant in the movie industry but this um she was like an aspiring film critic this woman takes like a very famous um uh, movie and then says why a less famous derided movie is better so it's just a lot of cool critical film talk and um one person podcasts are hard to pull off so i have a lot of respect for her as well so i, I never miss one of her episodes and then um other cool stuff too. This had an Oscar buzz is another failed movie podcast where like, um, you know, it's, it's what it sounds like movies that, you know, had Oscar buzz and like had grand, um, you know, awards aspirations, but they just 
didn't go well. It's a funny one. Children's book. I asked, I stole a page from Ian, which is I asked my kids what books I should shout out. Um, my oldest daughter, Eva, has this cool semi-thick book called Five Minute Bedtime Stories, which just has classic ones in it. Um, and last night we read Three Billy Goats Gruff, a little graphic for my taste. But um, And then Essie uh, said Bluey, because we have some Bluey books for her. Children's film. Children's film. Um, so this is a this is fun because I'm kind of viewing these movies through my kids' eyes, but um Moana and Encanto are huge hits here. So um for my birthday one year, actually, they're like, What do you want to do? And like Encanto came out in December, but we were still jamming on it so hard, like February 2nd. I was like, I just want to sit with the kids and watch Encanto. So really, really like those. And also they have um non-generic Disney movie endings. I like their messages. Are are there any media that you consumed a lot in Moe's that you revisit? Um, I will watch clips from Community, and I've I've yet to do an entire rewatch, but just Community was such a huge part of like we got it season by season, and it was it was a great show. So the seasons of Community that I could watch while in Moe's hold like such a special place in my heart. And then we got back, and it went on like Yahoo TV or something. I I've never actually watched that season, so. I need to do a big grand community rewatch and then finish the show as a whole. They're going to do a movie soon. Do you have anything else you'd like to share? Yes. I want to shout out Claudia. We love you from training. I hope that Peace Corps Mozambique staff hears this someday. I want to shout out my Moz 14ers. Okay. You guys are not allowed in Slack yet, but maybe someday you will be. It's up to Mark Goldfarb. Okay. Don't ask James. He doesn't know. Yeah, I want to shout out uh, Jema for taking me to that jazz in the park where I met the guy who helped introduce me to my wife. Shouting you guys out. Uh, I told James, this is a lot of fun for me. I love all the people who jumped on and like did an interview because I tend to get a little um, reconnecty over the summer. And so this is kind of what I do. I'm like, hey, what are you doing now? Hey, let's tell two funny stories about Mozambique. Hey, what are you watching on TV? And now James has kind of outsourced it for all the people who either I've lost touch with or have chosen not to keep in touch with me. So um, it's really cool to hear from all y'all. This is awesome. Thank you to Drew for not having to call people. And thank you to the people that yeah. were going to call Drew because now you don't have to talk to Drew on the phone. James, people don't call me. No, I know. No, but they're not going to get a call from you now. Oh, you're right. Thanks a lot, Drew. Yep. Keep in touch. Amen. Friends of Mozambique is a 501c3 nonprofit founded by Moz RPCVs is a way of continuing to make a positive impact in Mozambique post-Peace Corps service. The most important thing that we do is fund small grants to community groups in Mozambique. Projects have ranged from everything from teaching girls to code to youth empowerment through soccer. As a small organization, we are very intentional about choosing small, always less than $1,500, but impactful projects to get the most bang for our donors' buck. The best thing about Friends of Moe's is that 100% of donations go directly to projects in Mozambique. We have essentially zero overhead and have a great board, including former country director Carl Swartz, Peace Corps staff Ophelia Shuva, and uh, several RPCVs who you may know. If you want to learn more about Friends of Moe's, go to friendsofmozambique.com. You can learn more about our projects and make a donation if you are able um, thanks, everyone. Estamos juntos.